doesn't exist, and here's all the scientific and philosophical reasons why. Uh, doing student ministry for 18 years, I've met a bunch of supposed atheists who were teenagers. Well, in about 35 seconds, you can just find out that they really don't know why they believe what they believe. They're just mad at God. So it's just easier for God not to exist in their little fantasy world. Well, what that brings us to is it gets us to a place where uh, everybody in the Bible Belt knows there's a God. Well, so do the demons. So I would talk to him and I said, what do you do? I said, I feel like everybody, I have to get everybody lost before they can meet Christ because everybody already thinks they're saved. If I were to ask, show of hands, don't raise your hand. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you saved by God's grace? Almost every hand, if not every hand in this room, would go up. But then you look at the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, how we're supposed to walk out out of our love for Jesus, walk out the truth of Scripture and the fruit of our lives, and it might say a completely different story. So I want to dig into some of uh, this this morning and get into uh, some probably controversial topics because I might be calling us out. Can I call us out just a little bit here in the Bible Belt this morning? Okay. Would you just give me the liberty to speak strongly into your life and not be, well, be offended because the gospel is offensive, but respond to that offense in repentance. We're going to talk about repentance. I'm expecting every one of us in this room to repent today. And you should be excited about that because if you get to repent, that means you discover more of who God is, which means you discover more of who you are, which means you discover your purpose on this planet. Repentance is good. I'm not going to say it with a red face. I don't know. I might get red face this morning. We'll see. But I just want God to do something in spite of my abilities, in spite of my uh, lack of teaching ability. I just want him to do something that maybe we need here more than a lot of things. Because Love Week's coming up. It's not coming up. It's here. And we're going to be in the face of a Bible-believing community that probably doesn't really know Christ. 300 churches. Most people go to church. There was an officer in our parking lot a few weeks ago. I went out there to talk to him because we were having a Wednesday night meal here. And I said, hey, why don't you take your, your lunch break here? Because I know how that works. They take their lunch and they get an hour. Every shift they get an hour for lunch. I guess it's still like that. He said, yeah, I've already eaten. I said, well, do you go to church anywhere? He said, yeah, I go to church. And he named the church. I said, now I can't remember who's the pastor there. You know what he said? I don't know. <laughs> Well, he knew the response. He knew to say, hey, I go to church. He knew what to say in that instance. So I want to just bring us to a place and, not, and see what we believe about some stuff. So I'm going to ask a series of questions because this is stuff you already know, and I just want you to blurt out the answer to it in what you believe. Uh, the first question, I want, to, I want to break our sermon up into three parts this morning. We're going to answer, do I really believe the Bible? Do all people know about God, and how do I tell people about God? That's really what we want to focus on, because Love Week, interacting, especially on Thursday night, the Pre-Faith Fest, we're going to be in downtown Wilkesboro, 
And we could sit there and we could, you know, be like, look at our worship band. They're awesome. When more than likely the streets are going to be filled with people, believer and non-believer, and we have no idea how to see their heart. So no matter who you encounter in this community, you can still share your faith the same way, which we'll get to near the end. But here's some questions. Do I believe the Bible? So uh, just answer these out loud. Do you believe God is real? Okay, should we start over just for more confidence? Is God real? Okay, do you believe there's one God? Yes. Yes. Do you believe Jesus is God? Sounding less confident. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe there is a hell? Do you believe that that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone? Okay. Can you be saved any other way besides faith and repentance in Jesus Christ? Do you believe the Bible is all true? Wow. What are we doing here? I have nothing else to say because you just said you believed everything that I'm going to talk about. But do you? See, I think there's a shift happening in Christian culture that we feel like we have less power in the truth of Scripture. When we talk about the Bible, when we sit in our four walls on Sunday morning, we say we believe this. But then when we get around people outside of these walls, we're not so sure we believe this. Well, we do, but when they say, do you really believe that's all true? Do you know for certain God is real? What do most people say? Do you know for certain God is real? What do most people say? Well, no, you can't know anything for certainty. If you ask me if my wife, if you tell me I don't believe your wife is real, are you certain your wife is real? I'm not going to sit there and go, well, I I don't know. If somebody were to ask me that I was standing up here and I was certain that you were real, when you look in the mirror, are you certain you are real? But yet the God of the universe, the one who created what is real, we are uncertain that he is real. We've lost our confidence in the very thing that gives us confidence. Why do I say that? Well, because to know anything for certain, you either have to know everything or know the one who knows everything. Brian, that, wait, hold on. Can you say that again? For you to know anything, for you to have any knowledge... And trust that that knowledge is true. You either have to know everything or to know the one who knows everything. And that is God. This is why we know things. We only know things because God exists. Otherwise, it progresses into nothingness. If you take an atheist who says, well, you can't know anything for certain. You can ask them, are you certain about that? And the atheist will say what? Yes. 
Well, which one is it? Are you certain that you can know that? Are you certain that you can't know anything? We can't make any knowledge claims without God. Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Look at that again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? You can only know something for sure by knowing God. And all knowledge starts with God. Just the fact that we are a species who know things, it, it ends up leading back to God. Because without God, I can't know what I know. The atheists can't know what they know without a God existing. Otherwise, what do they base their knowledge upon? What do they base their moral? Uh, ask an atheist this. This is a, a reference. This is what one of my uh, guys I watch online a lot. His name is Jeff Durbin. He, he says this. He says, is it wrong? Should I either love my neighbor or is it wrong that I eat my neighbor? Do you think anybody in the world would be like, oh, no, it's okay. You should eat your neighbor. No, what if you eat your neighbor, you have obviously done what? You've murdered them, right? Murder is wrong. Some people who's, even, even someone who is a serial killer, here's how they know murder is wrong. Ask them if you can kill them. They'll be like, no, I'll kill you first. <laughs> it's written in our hearts. It is better to love your neighbor than to eat them. Everybody across the world will agree. But to the atheists, if, they was, if you were to say, what is it, what's better, to love my neighbor or, or to eat them? They say, well, to love my neighbor. Well, in your worldview, what makes eating them wrong? What makes murder wrong in your worldview? Because it's based on the individual. They say, well, society decides. Which society? Hitler? His society? The Jews weren't even human. That's how they justified murder. Go out to, to Eckerd and ask if stealing is wrong. They'll be like, well, well, no. Okay, can I come to your house and take your TV? Well, no. So is it wrong or is it not? Because you just said it's not wrong. If I leave it laying around, you, you're dumb enough to leave it laying there. Okay, well, where does it stop? There has to be a center of wisdom and of morality that is a standard that never moves, and that is God, and we all live by it. See, for years, for the past 18 years of ministry, uh, I, I've been studying apologetics and trying to understand the deep things of philosophy and, and science and biology just so I can argue about four months ago, I came across a new type of apologetic, which uh, I don't have to argue all that. I get to use my Bible. I love the Bible. How many of you have a Bible at home? All right, let's learn something that you can do. You don't have to learn the complexity of the eye. You don't even have to defend Scripture. You don't have to know that over 25,000 manuscripts were that we have of scripture, of ancient documents. Second place is Homer's Iliad. Only 600 ancient documents of that. 
You know, you don't have to understand that it was written over a 1,500-year period by 40-some authors on three continents, and it has one seamless theme. You don't have to remember all that. And I think that the reason that we don't share our faith, because most people don't, if you were to share your faith on a regular basis, we would be at five services. This is the type I'm, I'm going to sort of maybe possibly make you upset. Some people wonder why people don't come to faith in Christ. Uh, well, the reason that is is because we don't share our faith in Christ. We feel all this pressure that we have to know all these things to even start. Or what if somebody asks a question that I don't know? Well, I'm not going to help you with that. I'm kidding. Think about it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Imagine you're standing at the Grand Canyon because what is that type of fear? That type of fear, is it like cowering back? Well, in a sense, imagine you're standing at the Grand Canyon, you're looking, and you walk up to the edge of the Grand Canyon. Right at the edge, what starts happening in your stomach? Unless you're crazy. Maybe you're one of those people with nothing. I just stand there and I like, you know... Man, my heart starts beating a little bit. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You can stand at the Grand Canyon and take it in awe. But when you walk up to the edge, you, you understand the, the depth and what could possibly happen. Because if you fall off, you what? You die. Well, see, this is the way we come to the Lord. We're in awe of who he is, and at any moment, we could die. You say, well, well, Brian, this is God, God of grace. Yeah, he is a God of grace, but he's still a God of justice. He's still a God of wrath. He's still a holy God. I was sharing with my friend. I said, what I deal with all the time is apathy and morality. That's what Christianity is in the South. We're moral people who are apathetic in our faith. And Jesus never saved you to make you moral. But yeah, we're good. I mean, y'all are good, nice Southern folk. Praise God. I mean, our teenagers, as long as they're just back behind the line of getting in big time trouble, we say, oh, they're good kids. And they're like, yeah. We even say, I was a pretty good kid growing up. Before a holy God, I was a wretched piece of trash. And every, even my goodness brought before him, I am like filthy rags. So he adopts me into his family as his son and daughter, and I stand forgiven because of him. My identity is changed because of him, and I live morally because I love him. I don't do it so we can just be pretty people sitting in a room who meet every week and we feel better about ourselves. I want people to know Jesus because I know him. I want people to be changed because he's changed me. Let me take the pressure off of you because you can't argue somebody into heaven. And some of you are better apologists. You know the evidence better than I do. And you could like sit down with somebody in philosophy, in biology, in physics, and you could argue those things, and I'd be like, man, how do you remember all that stuff? Some of you just have that type of mind. But listen to John chapter 10, verse 27. 
It says, my sheep, everybody say, my sheep. This is Jesus talking. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life that shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. The Bible talks about two people, but there's actually three on planet earth. There's sheep and then there's goats and then there are lost sheep. There's sheep that have not listened to the voice yet. In God's sovereignty, he knows the beginning from the end, so he knows who's going to respond to him. He knows. So all you have to do is bring the voice of God. All you have to do is know your Bible. You're saying, Brian, do I not need to know all that other stuff? Well, that's great. Know it. But evidence doesn't save people. If you can argue with somebody about the complexity of the eye and how that proves that there is a God, then they're just going to go home and study biology and anatomy. And then they're going to come back. Or even if you convince them, wow, that's amazing. And uh, there was this uh, one atheist that actually became a theist. And a lot of the Christian community was like, look, they finally got him to believe in a God. Guess what? You can't be saved just by believing that there is a God because everybody already knows that. My sheep listen to my voice. And that's our job is to bring people the voice of God through the scriptures, through the word of God. This is why you got to read your Bible. Silent poll, no hands raised. How many of you have read your Bible more than once this week? Don't raise your hand. That's probably about how many hands would have went up. I don't know. You said, Brian, don't judge me. I'm not judging you. Romans 8 says this. For I am convinced that neither life nor death. Listen to this. This gets me excited, this passage. Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers... Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Unless somebody brings a good argument. Unless somebody says, do you really believe God exists? Or they look at you and they go, oh, wow, you're a Christian? But you said nothing could separate you, and you just said, amen. You said you believe the Bible's real. You said you believe God is real, but yet our faith can be shaken so quickly. Colossians, Paul wrote this. He said, my purpose in chapter 2, verse 2, my purpose is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of, of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you, no one, by fine-sounding arguments. See, Paul is saying, hey, don't get caught up in those fine-sounding arguments. Yes, somebody is smarter than you. Somebody read more philosophy books. You should get around a, a college student that took one semester of philosophy. Oh, my goodness. 
They know everything. You're like, you're a freshman in college? First semester of philosophy? Yeah. Come back in two years. You'll know nothing again. <laughs> Find sound in argument, verse 5. For though I'm absent from you in the body, I'm present with you in the spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, root it up, and build it up in him, in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now listen to it again. He says it again. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is head over every power and authority. Every power and authority is given to you through the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Why would we not know it? Why are we so easily shaken? Why is it if we have evangelism days, like on Thursday night, why is it that very few people would sign up for that when we say, hey, let's go engage our community and share our faith? We, we, we just want to do service projects. We just want to do that. When, guess what? We can make our community feel really good, and they might even say, Celebration Church, wow, they sure do love our community. They do so much to help people. But if we don't share the gospel, then we have helped everyone go to hell. I started thinking about how Pilate came out and he washed his hands of Christ's blood. And I wonder if we try to sort of go to work and not be bold in our faith and we sort of wash our, the blood off our hands before we get there and after we leave because we, we never engage our community. What's the purpose of your job? What's the purpose of your family? What is the purpose, purpose if it's not for the glory of God and to make God known to this world? What is the purpose? It's meaningless. It's all meaningless, Solomon said, without God. And do we believe that? I mean, I know you said you believed it. I know I say I believe it. But do you know we walk out what we truly believe? When you step out these doors, the second you go to lunch, you will live out what you really believe. And it's either because you're an unrepentant sheep or you haven't repented and received Christ and became a sheep. It's always about repentance. Paul told young Timothy this in Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21. He said, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Anything outside of the truth of Scripture, the Bible says, is false knowledge. We don't use science to prove Scripture Scripture will prove that science is real. I know this sounds country and maybe backwoods. The Bible is real because God said it is. The Bible is true, and that should be concrete enough for us, but it shouldn't be like, bless God, 
This is real because God said so. And then you just disengage from the people. It is true because God said so. And that should be enough to help us stand on it. Where we build our lives on it. Instead of all the stuff that we can argue and all the evidence. Let's answer this question. Do all people know about God? Does everybody on planet Earth know that there is a God? It's a good question. Well, Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. You and I can get to a place where our knowledge of God is solid. Our knowledge of God is gets to a place where we understand this. Do all people know about God? Psalm 14, 1 says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, the Bible isn't saying people are stupid, but this is the state of who they are. It's a foolish thing to say that there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. Someone may ask you, well, Brian, how do you know that there is a God? How can you be sure? You know how you can answer those people? You can say the same way that you do. We've all been given exactly the same thing. You don't believe me? Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. I want to read this to you. Romans chapter 1 says this in verse 18. The wrath of God is being... We don't like that. Can we just take that out? Isn't it funny how we try to erase things in our Bible? Especially words like that. People aren't going to like that. Well, they're not going to like God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness from men who do what? What do they do? They suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what? Listen, this should give you confidence. Since do people believe that there's a God? Since what has been known about God is plain to them. Is the Bible true? What did you say? Some of you should be getting excited because you're like, oh, the Bible is true. So that means, is that true? It says that everybody should be, because God has made it plain to them. Pressure's off of you. You don't have to give the cosmological argument for God. What is that? It doesn't matter. It's a great thing to study, but it doesn't matter because the Bible just says, you know, we're country, but the Bible, if it's true, it's all true or none true. Get up and walk out if it's not true. Because I've got to bank my life on something. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Not only has God made it known to everybody on planet earth, but they have clearly seen it. Being understood from what has been made so that men are without what? How many of you have heard from a coach, no excuses? Raise your hand. Yeah, you'd be like, 
Yeah. Make me run another one. I'll find a good excuse. We have excuses, but God says there's no excuse for anyone. It doesn't matter if in their deepest parts of the jungle, there is enough knowledge of God for everyone's condemnation. We say, if everybody already knows about God, well, why do we share the gospel? Like I said, they have enough for their condemnation, but not for their salvation. That's where the church comes in. This is where we preach the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that everyone has a chance. Verse 21 says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became futile. Uh, fools and exchange the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. It says, therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped, served, and created things rather than creator who is forever to be praised. Paul says that they have suppressed the truth. They've pressed it down. It's like trying to hold a ball under water in a pool. You've got to constantly press it down with your sin or with your life or with your philosophy because the second you let it go, it's always going to pop up. And God is constantly revealing himself. God never quits communicating to us. He never stops. He's never, he never quits. He constantly reveals himself to us because he loves us and he wants us to know who he is. Everyone has enough for their condemnation, but not, uh, not enough for their salvation. So Love Week this week is way more than doing projects. It's not a social, we're not a social justice club. We're people offering life to the dead. I mean, when people finally see that they are dead in their sins and transgressions, you have done the greatest thing because you have the answer to that. And it's not the human complexity of the eye. It's not that light travels 186,000 miles per second and the sun, the light from the sun takes eight minutes to get here and the sun could have exploded and we won't know for another eight minutes. Wow. I love that stuff. But guess what? Evidence doesn't save people. Jesus does, and we've got to give them the gospel. So it's cool to know those things. Paul went on to tell Timothy this in 2 Timothy 2.23. He says, don't, ha uh, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because you know they produce quarrels. We don't just argue people into heaven by evidence. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct and hope that God will grant them repentance. Look at this. If you've got a Bible, underline the second half of verse 25. In hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to what? The knowledge of of the truth. 
They can't even repent. They can't know anything for sure until they repent. And they can't repent unless God grants them repentance because the Bible says that worldly sorrow leads to death. Parents, you understand this. When your kids say, okay, I'm sorry, they don't mean it. They're backing up because they're like covering their honey. But when your child comes back and they have true brokenness over what they've done, the Bible says that worldly sorrow leads to death, but godly sorrow. What kind of sorrow? Godly. It comes from God, leads to repentance in life. I love that the pressure is off of us. We just have to elevate and lift up Jesus and preach his word and share the gospel with people and God will do the work. He grants them repentance and then they know. You can get them to believe all the evidence and still not know God. Not in the way that comes to salvation. So let's look at this last part. Well, how do I tell people about God? Well, the answer is in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Okay, that sounds great. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. If you get into an argument with somebody, don't respond in what they're arguing about. Well, how can you prove it? Did you know that the Nicene group that got together, the Council of Nicaea and all that kind of stuff and how it went down. And you can go, no, I didn't know about that. Oh, my goodness. I need to go look at that. And you study, study, study. See, if you look at somebody and they say, well, it's, it's wrong. The Bible is just full of just contradictions. Look at them and say, well, why is that wrong? I mean, from your worldview... That's not wrong. You know, uh, is child molestation wrong? Well, yeah. Why? According to an atheist or a non-believer's worldview, anything can go. We're just matter in motion. We come from ooze. We, we evolve from fish. Why should we care? You know, because at the end, we're just fizz getting mad about fizz. There's no basis for morality if, if there is no God, but there is a God. And because that there is a God, everybody knows that it's wrong for a child molester not to be punished. We know. Nobody goes, oh, no, that's cool. But you can ask people, hey, do you think that it's wrong for that to happen? Well, I can't say anything for certain. When you got up this morning, when your foot hit the floor, were you certain that gravity would hold you? Well, no. Really? You got up this morning and went, oh, it happened again. Woo! Man, I wake up every day just nervous. Everybody walks around knowing God exists. They walk around knowing that the laws of gravity and the laws of logic are real. They live that way. Well, that sounds good. Don't enter a fool according to his folly. And then verse 5, this is a contradiction. It must be. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. So which one is it? Well, there's, these two sayings, they belong together. They complement each other. 
Their point is you shouldn't be drawn into a fool, uh, to a fool's level. But at times you must use the fool's language to refute the fool so he doesn't become conceited. See, wisdom, the Holy Spirit's got to give you wisdom on how to respond in a situation. That's why you need to read your Bible. That's why you need to walk close with God. See, the Jewish Talmud uh, suggests that verse 4 pertains to the fool's argument that can be ignored. Well, what about the contradictions in the Bible? Well, what's wrong with contradictions? Don't even address it. Don't... I used to say this. I used to say, show me. I have done that for 18 years and nobody's shown me one. We're in the Bible Belt. Nobody knows it. They're just like, well, there's a contradiction. Really show me. But now I'm not, I don't do that anymore. I just say, well, uh, what's wrong with contradictions in your worldview? If there's no God, what's wrong with a contradiction? Well, why do you keep bringing everything back to God? Because everything has to either, if there is no God, then what's, what's, what's wrong with it? I should contradict everything. It would be fun. It would be fun to look at somebody and say, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> when I say yes, I mean no. I contradict myself all the time. Isn't that fun? What's wrong with it? If there is no God, what's wrong with it? Don't even show up to work in the morning. And when your boss says, you're late for the again, I told you you're, you're going to be fired. And you'd be like, why is it wrong to be late? I promise you, your boss, who may be an atheist, is going to have all kinds of problems with you being late. Don't get caught up in the arguments, because that's what verse 4, ignore those. But you get, get to the flawed idea, the, the foundation of what they, they base their life on is sand underneath their feet. Draw attention to that constantly. Stay on top of that. If there is no God, what's wrong with anything? Just stay there. You don't because they know that there is a God because there are many things wrong with many things. If someone says, you know, God's not real, don't say, or if somebody says the Bible's not real, don't say, yes, it is. Do you know how complex the Bible is? Don't say that. Just ask them, well, well, what is real? Well, I'm real. Who says? You could be plugged into the matrix. What? In fact, I think you are. That wasn't even real. I promise you, they'll think it's real. See, we give answers to the world's ideas. I mean, without a God, abortion is not wrong. Without a God, abortion is not. Who's to say? But God said, so therefore it's wrong. I know this is heavy, but we don't live this way. We, we, we come from this neutral point of view. We'll be like, um, if... if the mother's been coaxed into this certain situation, you know. She, look, if she kills her child, that's murder, and that makes her a murderer. She needs the gospel. And I know that's strong, and some of us are like, wait, do we need to be that strong about it? Why would we sell someone short of the truth? God forgives murderers. And we've all been one in our heart. 
But we just well, that, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. It is. It sends you to hell. That's why Jesus loves us. And he came and he did what we could not do. So I want to look at one last passage that we're going to break down. And then we actually look at three more passages. But one more that we're going to break apart. And I'm going to give you three points in a poem. Because I'm from the South. 1 Peter 3.15. Our apologetic series that was seven or eight weeks long just months ago. This was our theme verse for it. I want to break it down and maybe show it to you in a new light. Because I came across it in a new light. 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. We look back at that passage, the first thing that we see, it says, Set apart Christ as Lord. See, a lot of us, we remember the second half of the verse, but the whole apology of this, the, the word apologetics comes, and this is the theme verse, comes from the, the apologia to give it a defense. And this is the theme verse for that. Everybody uses that. Most of us see, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. But we forget the whole point of being prepared in the whole starting place, the whole foundation in which we stand on our feet is the first part of that verse. Set apart Christ as what? Lord. Now, this is where we're getting... It's tough in the Bible Belt. Is Jesus Christ Lord? You ask... Bless God, Jesus Christ is Lord. Ask your waitress today. Is Jesus Christ Lord? They'll go, well, yeah. But it says, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, not out of your mouth. Is this something that's happened in your heart? Is he the king of your heart, the king of your schedule, the king of your wallet, the king of your kids? Is he the king of your job? Is he the king of your sleep? Is he the king of your entertainment? Because that's what Lord is. He's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. This is the scary part of the gospel. There's no half-saved people. Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Then when you have done that in the conversation, in the apology, in that engagement with your lost friend, I believe most people say they believe in Jesus and Jesus is Lord around here, but it's not in their heart. And if it's not in their heart, there is no change. Because heart change leads to life change. And only God changes hearts. See, we, we don't share the gospel from a place of neutrality. neutrality. We, we share it from a place of truth. Where do you share evidence? Anybody know a place? Rob Crumpton, where is evidence shared? In court. In courtroom, and you share it to the judge and the jury. Think about your lost friends when they want you to prove that God exists. You share evidence with the judge. Well, who's the judge of the world? God. But we remove him off his throne. We throw him as a defense. 
We put them down and we give a defense for God to the judge, the atheist, the skeptic, the non-believer. God does not need a defender. Quit defending God. Everybody already knows he exists because the Bible says it and it's all true or none true. Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. If he's Lord of your heart, you don't doubt who he is. We don't serve a God that we doubt. Do you realize that? The second you doubt him, you don't serve him. I have no doubt of God, but when I do, I repent of my doubt. Because just think about that. God is so much greater than my wife. But if I look at my wife and said, I doubted you were even real today. That would not go well for me on any level. But don't worry. I, I gathered up a bunch of evidence. I went back through the pictures. I watched the video of our, our, our wedding. I talked to your parents and they said, no, she's real. And your mom said, oh, I know she's real. Okay, well, since you know she's real, okay. Now I've got all this evidence that you're real, honey. Guess what? She was real whether the evidence was there or not. And God is too. Is this freeing for you? Because this, this happened to me only about four months ago where I was like, this is so much better because this is sort of where I got to when I shared my faith anyways. I tried to do all the, you know, the, the ninja skills of apologetics to be like, oh, I've got the argument for that. I'm going to destroy your thoughts. And then I'm like, but then I still have to get them to Jesus. When I just read, we just read that they can't even know anything unless they repent. They can't be sure of what they know unless they repent. So they've got to be saved anyways, regardless of the evidence that I give them. The second part in there, it says, always be ready to answer everyone. Be ready. Well, how can you be ready if you get up every day and spend time with the Lord in his word? Some people say, well, I pray all the time, Brian. I say, well, do you read your Bible? Well, I don't have much time to read. Don't trust your prayers then. Because they go hand in hand. How in the world would we not be a people who say that we love the word of God? Again, we do what we believe. We say we love God's word, but yet we don't read it hardly at all. I have to do these types of things with myself all the time. If my day gets busy and I don't get much time with the Lord, I ask myself this simple question. Did God in his sovereignty plan time today in his story for me to spend time with him? The answer is what? Yes. So it wasn't a busyness problem. It was a heart and repentance problem. So repent. Repent and get in the word. Repent and study the word. Write this down, Scripture Typer. It's an app. I created a group there. There's nearly 100 verses that I've compiled together on doctrine that you can memorize out of the Word of God. Scripture Typer. It's, it's, a, it's an app, a Scripture memory app. And I said, if you go there and go to groups and just type in Celebration Church, you will find me there and you will find nearly 100 verses already waiting there for you to memorize. What it does is daily, you just go through your scripture typer app and you read the scripture and then you hit next and it takes some words away and you have to fill in the blanks and remember what the scripture says and then you go to the next level and it's completely blank and you have to try to quote the whole scripture. You should try in as quickly as possible and as fervently as possible to memorize those hundred scriptures. 
Again, I was talking to my friend there in Arizona, and he said that people hardly know any Bible out there. They, they're biblically illiterate. I said, well, I almost guess that if I were to walk up to anybody, they could at least quote five or six scriptures. Well, the Bible says this. They would tell me, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you. They would tell me John 3, 16. They would also tell me that Jesus said, do not judge lest you be judged. They love that one. They have no idea what it means. And they just continue just to quote these little scriptures that, why? Because we put it out in front of them, but we, we haven't brought them to the truth and got them to see without Christ, you cannot know anything. So always be ready. See, we don't conclude with God after we shared all the evidence. Think about this for just a second, students. You don't start your year off by trying to make all friends, and then the last week of school, you finally tell them about Jesus. We start with God because God starts with himself. In the beginning, God. I mean, you don't get four words into the Bible where he's already started with himself. In fact, do you know what happened before the beginning? God. Before those words were written, before the beginning started, God was. And when he made creation, he didn't make a creation that did not know that he existed. He made a creation that knew. And the, the third part, this is the toughest, and this is, this is what I have to work on the most, is do it with gentleness and respect. You've heard it said, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Raise your hand if you've heard that. Preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Can I just tell you this morning, preach the gospel, words are necessary. People do need to see that we are Christians by the way that we live our lives, but I think we've gone so extreme to that in our southern charm that we quit talking about Jesus. If we get our whole community to quit smoking meth and quit getting drunk, they still go to hell. We don't need better courtrooms. We need better preaching of the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. Does that bother anybody that I'm saying that? It bothers me. I hope we shut the courthouse down. I tell the Eckerd boys all the time, I want to shut this place down. There should not, most of the local missions that we support should not exist if we are being and sharing the gospel. There should be no orphanages. Why? Because the people of Celebration Church should step up and we should adopt. Well, Brian, have you adopted anybody? Well, we're, we're talking about it. I don't know if it'll ever happen. Well, well what, what do we need to do? Well, we just need to read our Bible and do what it says. Sharing the, sharing the gospel, sharing Jesus is easy. Open your Bible, read it, and do it. It's that simple. The most powerful 18 years of ministry that I've seen in student ministry is when I just opened it up and I said, Oh, my goodness, have you read this? Let's go do it. Let's go do it. Matthew seven twenty four. listen to this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Anything 
Anything that we don't obey in Scripture is like building our house on the sand. We're like the fool who says there is no God. Thursday, I came across this gem in Philemon 1.6, and it blew my mind and convicted me to the depths of who I am. I pray that you may be active, love week, active in doing social justice projects. Nope. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Well, Brian, I'm just not sure about things and I'm struggling. Well, let's keep reading. So that you will have full understanding, you and me, full understanding of every good thing we have in Jesus Christ. Can I just say this? This might scare you and it scares me sometimes. If you are not actively sharing your faith, you cannot believe anything that you currently are understanding. That's what the Bible said. In your face. In my face. So we walk around knowing and understanding so many things, but yet we're not in the word and we're not actively sharing our faith. You want to understand God and understand our community in a way that will break your heart? Share your faith. Love Week is a home run pitch that you could just knock out of the park. We spend a week where we put us in front of people who don't know Christ. We intentionally do that. We're doing things where we can show acts of love that maybe give us a voice into their life. But if we don't have a voice in their life, we still step in. We can only understand the fullness of the gospel when we're actively sharing our faith. And if we're not actively sharing our faith, and I want to end with this thought, then we either need to repent and become a follower of Christ. Because guess what? You won't share your faith in the God that you have not acknowledged and come to faith in. Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago for your sin. He did that so you, when you stand before a holy God, you can be covered with his righteousness. He did what you could not do so you could live a life that you don't deserve. He did that. And you need to repent and receive Christ as Savior, as Lord of your life. That means he changes you from the inside out. And if there's no result in that change... You can't be saved. If you find yourself not obedient to God's word, you are not saved. If this is just some southern, you know, compliment that you believe that the Bible is real, but yet you don't live the Bible out, then the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you because he compels you into all truth. That's what the Bible says. And if you don't find yourself walking in obedience, you can't be saved and you need to repent and receive Christ. And it's not a bad thing. It's the greatest thing you can do with your life. Or you need to repent of our southern Bible Belt ways that make us moral people. And you've just lived a good moral life, but yet you don't share your faith. And you just say, Lord, this is part of the life that I need to give to you because I'm afraid of sharing my faith because I have doubts. So I'm repenting of my doubts and I'm believing your word. And I'm going to walk in that. And that's why the next step is this. I will commit to do what I know. You know there's a God. I know there's a God. Let's be active in sharing our faith so we can understand the fullness of what that means. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we pray?
Oh, holy God. Your word is truth. The enemy is a liar. He only speaks lies. Father, right now in this room, would you lead us into truth? Holy Spirit, would you bring salvation to the south? And save us from our moral ways. Save us from our good lives and bring us to the gospel that makes us alive. Lord, don't let us be good and dead. Let us be alive and as a result, we live great lives. Lord, no man is without excuse. So Lord, the world is condemned. That's why you've given us your truth and your word to to extend life and to bring people to repentance and to faith in Christ. And God, I pray even in this room, I still remember the man who led me to Christ, Lord. 22 years later, sitting in my office and I got to be a part of leading him to Christ. So Lord, a deacon in a church, so Lord, there's not a person in this room that is above your salvation and above publicly professing you. In fact, you said, if we do not profess you before men, you will not profess us before your Father in heaven. So Lord, it doesn't matter the status of we've been in this room since Celebration Church started. We've grown up in church. Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that we sense you leading us to repentance and salvation. And Lord, for all of us that claim to know Christ and that you have brought to salvation, I pray that we repent and we see that we can't trust a thing that we think we know if we do not share our faith. And we can't share our faith accurately if we don't know your word because we have nothing else to stand upon. Not all these foolish arguments or great philosophies and science and all these things that we can know and blow people's minds, but they need Jesus. So help us to do that. So Lord, as we just respond to you and just take a moment to reflect and sing back to you, would we respond in obedience? It's in Christ's name.